Uh, we welcome you. We are in the middle of a teaching series out of the book of James. So if you would go and open your Bibles up, uh, James chapter 1 is where we're spending time. If you have a digital, you can go to Version. You can look under events. You'll find our study notes there. and You can read along and follow along with that. If you're like me and you still like having something in your hands that's uh, leather bound or a little paper uh, in there, uh, this is a living textbook. Be sure and write in it, mark it down, and learn what God has to say to us. Well, listen, I want to thank you all for your prayers. Uh, last week, uh, I had a meeting with the church in South Charlotte, uh, Reach Church, a church that we are now becoming a parent of. Um, <laughs> I thought I was done parenting. I finally got mine out of the house, and now we're uh, taking on a church. I met with their leadership team the other night, and I just want you to remember this name, Chad and Jenny Wheeler. Uh, they are the pastors there, and I want you to begin to pray for them. You know, we were like, how, how do we help you? How do we help reboot a church? We're still building hope. But you know, it begins there. It begins in prayer, because prayer is what opens up people to God working through them. And we're just asking God to do that. Also, thank you for your prayers. I was away at minister's retreat. I'm still soloing. Denise is uh, in Tennessee with her mom this week. I pick her up Wednesday, and I am I'm very, very, very thankful she's coming back, because our cat is about to drive me nuts, and she needs someone to love her. Uh, and I'm not a cat guy. I can't figure that out yet. Uh, James chapter 1. We've been talking about what, uh, what really true religion is. You know, religion's taken on this bad name now in our culture because we, we kind of throw everything against it and say, well, you don't want to be religious because uh, that just speaks of tradition or it speaks of, uh, of something hollow or death. But, you know, truly, there are things that God has said in his word that says this is what it looks like when you follow me. This is what it looks like when you are a child of God, and this is how you live it out. And I love the book of James because James is kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament. It takes the teachings of Christ out of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it says, here's how you daily walk those out. It's very tangible teaching. And we've been working through that, and this morning we're going to focus primarily on one verse. We're going to read the last two as we wrap up chapter 1, and it says this. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and the religion is worthless. Religion that, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Father, we thank you that this is your word to us today, God. And Lord, we ask you to help us, God, to have a heart that is open, Lord, to be challenged, to respond, God, to be softened, Lord, to be healed. And God, I pray that as we do that, Father, today, Lord, you will speak to us by your Holy Spirit. God, we will, we will not be changed, God, because we've been in the presence of a living God. And Lord, we give you thanks for that. So God, thank you that, Lord, your word is living and active. And God, today, Lord, let us grab hold of it with all our might. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Aren't you thankful that God, in all of his wisdom, created you and I in his image? To bring glory and honor to him and all that we do, everything we say, everything we act, everywhere we go, we bring honor and glory to God our Father. I mean, you think about it. He gave us two eyes to observe. And we see where hurt is or we see where God is moving or we see opportunity to, to share. Yesterday we were out at the Parkside Elementary Fall Festival just hanging out with kids and just having a great day with them. And, and I was just watching families and I was just watching how they interact because if you're not familiar yet with this area, we have people from all over the world just coming into this area and it's such a beautiful picture. But I was watching this Muslim family coming through and they were just, you could tell they were kind of hesitant and before long we're playing golf with their son and we're 
pitching bean bags, and the mom says, I've never done this in my life. And she kept pitching, and I tell you, she would not stop until she sunk one. It was like 20 shots, and she finally got one. But, you know, we see things, and we say, God, move in that. Lord, God, how do we help in that situation? He gave us ears to listen to his voice and the voice of those who are called to serve. He gave us feet to move about and to stand strong, hands to touch hurting people with. And then he gave us a mouth, and that's where we get in trouble. Then he gave us a mouth, and that's where we typically find our, our faults and our, our failures because most of us recognize that it's not our feet that get us in trouble very often. It's not even our ears, but so often it's our tongue. It's what we say. It's what we speak, and it, and it leads us into places where we really don't want to go. In fact, James said in James chapter 3, verse 6, so it'll be on the screen, he said that the tongue is literally a, a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. I, I don't, I'm just thankful when Jesus is teaching, you may, you may remember reading this, where he was talking about just the extreme measures we would go to to serve him. And I'm so thankful when he was speaking about, hey, if your eye offends you, pluck it out, or, or, you know, if, you just, or if your hand offends you, cut it out. I'm so glad he didn't say, if your speech offends anybody, cut it out, because the sign of most people would be no tongues in their lives. You see, James has been so straight up in chapter one. You can follow back on our podcast. And he's been laying out truth to these people that were persecuted, these people that were driven from their homes and driven from their economies and driven from their families. And he was teaching them things that we would think would be very hard to do in the middle of trials. Like, hey, when you're going through a hard time, don't run from it. God may be, God may be just leading you into a growth time, and he is always right there no matter what. We sang about that today. He said we're to persevere, we're to press in, because through that, God gives us wisdom and it makes us grow and mature in him. He told them, listen, your true worth is not based on what you see around you. How I many know comparison is a really bad thing in life? He says you don't look around you and say, oh, my worth is not the same as someone else because they seem to be, have so much more than I do. He says, no, your true worth is found in your love and your affection for God and his faithfulness to your life. You are eminently worth everything to our father so much so that he sent his one and only son he even said in james he said, listen when you deal with things like temptation recognize god's not tempting you but recognize the power there is in temptation that we don't play with he says listen when his trials hang out persevere when his temptation don't hang out he says you need to you need to step away because we're not as strong sometimes as we think we are it is god who's strong in us and then last week we talked about embracing his cycle of blessing just becoming people who do the word and not just hear it. Let it speak to us, but let us act on it. And as he concludes his thought in this chapter one, where he's really kind of setting them up, saying, look, the goal is maturity, he makes this statement that I think is very startling. It's found in verse 26. And look back to it. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is what? What does it say? Worthless. And we don't want to think anything's worthless. We don't want to think that anything we do is not of value or of honor, but he says, listen, your attitude, your obedience, your actions, they all speak of the legitimacy of your faith. But if we don't guard this, if we don't guard our tongues, we have a way of negating that very legitimacy. And he says it makes our religion worthless. On the flip side, the other side of that coin is just as true, though. He says if all you do is talk about it and you never act on it, guess what? It's worthless. 
It's, you, can, you can talk a good game, but unless you're willing to step out and love someone with the love of Jesus, he says, really, your worship and your, your religion is worthless. He says, this is true religion. He said, look, find those that are hurting. Reach out to the broken, to the orphans, to the widows, to the, to the homeless. He said, this is true religion where we get out of ourselves and we take every blessing God has given us and we recognize it's not just for us. And he said, oh, yeah, and by the way, stay holy. Stay separate. Don't, don't get so consumed in the world. The world can't see any difference between you and them. The world can't see Christ working in you. He says, you need to walk in that separate way. Now, listen, that gets into everything about our speech. Let's be honest. We all struggle from time to time with our speech. We all struggle from time to time with what comes out of our mouths. James even said in chapter 3, he said, if we never fail in that area, guess what? High five, you are perfect. Now, I don't know a single person that I'm looking at today that is perfect, including this guy right here. Because we all fail in that area. It's something so strong in our lives. It's so strong that James even gave these words of wisdom back in 119. He said, dear brothers, take note of this. Be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. That's one thing my dad always taught me. He said, think before you open that thing up. <laughs> think before you talk about something. He says, be, be slow to speak, be quick to listen, and extremely slow to anger. He even warned us. He said, in fact, Jesus, echoing Jesus' words, James again echoes his brother's words. He said, listen, you're going to be judged for every idle word that ever comes out of your mouth. So much so in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, speak and act as those you're going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. But can I tell you this instrument that causes so much pain sometimes is also the very instrument that God has anointed to break out in so much faith and so much worship and so much power and so much life-giving speech that God says it's out of the abundance of the heart that our mouth speaks and we have the privilege to show God and to show others who he is in our lives, how it flows out of us because we bring that as a gift to our God. You see, the problem with our tongues is not the tongue itself. It's our heart. It's a heart condition. He said this out of the abundance of the heart or from the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So when Jesus Christ is Lord of all, that means he's the Lord of our lips as well. Now, can I tell you, there are times when Scripture throws pastors like a, like a, a softball down the middle. It's just too easy. You know, it, it would just be too easy to stand up here today and just like lay in the word and say, all right, people, let's get it right. Come on, everybody, let's, uh, let's pray over these tongues and let's get it straight. We need to learn how not to offend. And that includes written word too. So let's talk about texting, social media, all of that good stuff. But guess what? We have James chapter three coming in about two months, all right? So we're not gonna do that this morning because it'd be too easy to preach that sermon and just say, zip it. Because the word tells us that there is power in the tongue. In fact, in Proverbs 18, he says this. He says, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Think about that. You have within your capabilities the ability to give life or to give death based on, on how you handle your speech. David, the psalmist, he, he understood the power of that so much. I love what he said in Psalm 141. He said, God, set a guard over my mouth. Oh, Lord, keep a watch over the door of my lips. I mean, he was taking it seriously. Why? Because words that we say have the power to breathe life, but they also have the power to bring death. So this morning, what I want to focus on in this time we have together is how do we have life-giving speech? How do we take this powerful gift God has given us and use it to bring glory and honor to him and to help others grow in their relationship with the Lord? I mean, think about it, giving life encouragement. 
Speaking life into somebody, instruction, teaching the word, communication, witness, praise, adoration, all these things God has given us the ability to do because he's entrusted us with this instrument called the tongue. So what we're going to focus on this morning is three ways we use our tongue to create life. Three ways that we use our tongue to create life. If you're taking notes, the the first thing is this, and that is God has called us to learn to live with the confession of faith, that we learn to confess with faith. Now, follow me in this because these, this word confess has been twisted by some teachers to mean something that it doesn't mean at all. You see, in our vernacular, when we speak of confession, it usually means we're guilty, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, hey, confess up. You know, you're going you're to confess something. But the Word of God, if, in the original language, says confession literally means to say what God says. Say what God says about your family. Say what God says about your marriage. Say what God says about your employment. It's an exercise of faith in our hearts. To have faith enough to say, I know what I want to say right now, but I know what God says in his word about my circumstance, and I choose to confess that as an act of faith. I mean, think about it. It's how we started our journey with Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. What are we confessing? We're saying what God says. When you approach him, you're saying, I confess I'm a sinner. I'm far from God. I'm I'm lost in my own sinfulness. I was born in sin. I need a Savior. You confess that God provided salvation alone through his one and only son. We confess that Jesus died that substitutionary death on the cross for us. And he rose from the grave and we confess that we are saved. And we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. And we can anyway boast and say, I had a part of that. No, you see, confession is powerful. Because we're saying what God has said about us. That's why water baptism is so important. It's just that public moment where we say to all those around us, I'm not just getting dunked here, I'm saying to all, the old self is dead, the new life has come, and Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, and I'm going to serve him with all of my heart. Confession, it's a powerful thing. You see, confession is this continuous witness of our relationship with God that James calls religion that is worthy. And it's something that we do again and again and again because confession in the Scripture is an action verb. It's a continuous action verb. It means we constantly confess. As we go down the road, we're confessing Jesus is Lord. As we go to work, we're confessing Jesus is Lord. Wherever we are, we are confessing that he is the one that sets us free. So much so that in the book of Revelation, when he was speaking of the end time church, it was under so much persecution. He made this statement in, Romans 12, I mean in Revelation 12, uh, verse 11. He said, they overcame him. They overcame the enemy. They overcame Satan. How? How do they do it? By the blood of the Lamb? Yes. God did it, right? But how else? By the word of our testimony. Guys, it is powerful, isn't it? When you can stand and say, I know what I see with my eyes may be difficult right now, but I know my Father lives. I know what I'm going through right now may be a heavy burden on my life, but I know who's on the throne. I know what I feel like inside right now. Guys, there are times we come into worship. When I, when I went to a minister's retreat this week, can I tell you, there is nothing more powerful than about 300 pastors lifting their voices and praising God and singing at the same time. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of like a job description. You've got to be able to sing to be a pastor. And yet, I know 
so many of their stories, and what I saw was this. I know some of them right now, their kids. One of, one of my good friends, his daughter is dying of, of, of cancer right now. She's 24 years old. And I watched him stand on that front stage, and he lifted up his voice and says, oh, my God is good, my God is able, and he is faithful. That's not an act. That's not some kind of mind manipulation. That's just saying, I know where I stand, and I'm not going to stand anywhere else but on the truth that my God is able to overcome through me. I'm so sometimes angered by how we take the word, though, and we twist it sometimes. And for some people, when you hear the word confession, if you come out of certain backgrounds of teaching in Scripture, it's almost like a bad word. Because the erroneous teaching of what's been called the prosperity gospel has all these elements to it where people talk about confessing things that have nothing to do with God's word at all. Listen, we don't deny reality when we confess. I'm sorry, but if I'm sick, what do I say? I am sick, but I know who is my healer. Amen? It's not confessing, denying reality like, God, I'm not broke. No, I'm broke, God, but you are Jehovah Jireh. You're the one that surprised for me, God, and I trust you. Because, Lord, if you don't let a sparrow fall, how do I not believe you're not going to take care of me? You see, the, the wrong way of confessing is claiming things that God never promised or acting like any trial or suffering is somehow a sign of your own sinfulness and it's your own fault. Can I tell you, that's death. And it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I learned years ago, if you can't preach it in the slum of a third world country, you can't preach it in the United States. I'm sorry, God did not give us a Western gospel. He gave us the gospel for all men everywhere. You can't look at somebody and say, I'm sorry you're in poverty. What sin did you commit? Are you kidding me? You just committed the sin by judging them and right there. No, we look up and say, this is truth. Some of the most happy, blessed people I've met in my life are people I'd look at and say, God, I wouldn't want to spend one day living like they do. Man, they are full of joy. You know why? Because they have nothing else to depend on but God. And they have found he is faithful, amen? So confession of faith is powerful because we live it out in so many ways. One of the ways we live it out is we learn to pray with authority. We learn to pray with authority. I was reminded this week, I, I just when I get away, there are things that I write in my journal and I put down and say, God, these are the things that I feel like you're, you're really focusing on in my life right now. And God, I need breakthrough in these areas. And, and sometimes it's the simplicity of being reminded of things that I already know, but I'm reminded of them to dive in and say, God, yes, I trust you. And one of those is when we pray with authority. That, that word confess, one of, the, one of the definitions, if you get back in the original language it was written in, speaks of the fruit of our lips giving thanks in his name. The fruit of our lips giving thanks in his name. I love when Jesus was asked by the disciples when they were really struggling with the miraculous things he was doing and the claims that he was God and people trying to kill him. And they came up one day and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I love the words he said because it wasn't a, it wasn't a formulaic prayer. It wasn't here a rote prayer, just always say these words like back in the old days, you know, you just say our father. But it was, it was a way of saying this is how you access the authority God has given us. And it starts by our father. Which are in heaven, what? Hallowed be your what? Name. Why is that important? You see, names mean something, don't they? Now, I know here in the States, we don't name kids with much meaning. Let's just be honest about it. My mom liked an actor called Alan Ladd, so I realized Michael Allen. You know, who cares, right? But when I dedicate some of your babies from other countries, I'm like, whew, yeah. 
God is with her. She will be a light to all people. I mean, there are some powerful things you put in those names. And in the Old Testament, when God was revealing himself, he was revealing himself by pronouncing his name so people would know his character. And we see Jesus took that and said, the number one thing you need to see is that word Father. Then when you're coming to the Father in Jesus' name, people ask me, well, who do I pray to? Am I praying to Jesus? Am I praying to the Holy Spirit? Am I praying to God? Simple. Bible 101. Ready? We pray to God in the name of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't pray to the Holy Spirit. We don't pray to Jesus. We thank them. We praise God for them. But we pray to God. Why? Because he alone is our Father. He is the one that knows us. He's the one who's able to heal us. You see, when we pray in Jesus' name, some people have kind of made that like a rabbit's foot. It's like we're praying, 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 praying. Oh, and oh yeah, by the way, trump card, in the name of Jesus. That's not what that's about at all. What it is is when we pray in Jesus' name, we are fully identifying as we come to the throne of our Father, we are fully identifying ourselves as we are in Christ. And when we pray, we're going to align ourselves in such a way that we would pray as if Jesus Christ himself was making the request. Say, how do I know to pray? (laughs) Know what Jesus is about. How do I pray? See what he has promised. How do I pray? We pray what he would pray because when we do that, we eliminate those things that are selfish requests and we tap into the will of God and we say, Father, you have promised this to us and Lord, we ask you to do that in our lives. I love the names. I love the names of God. I love going back and studying the various names of God. And a friend of mine at retreat this week, when he got up to pray, he just stopped and he began praying the names of the Father. You see, our God is known by many names in the Old Testament. One was Jehovah God. But Jehovah would always be, uh, would be paired with another word to give us a part of his nature. And one of those things that he prayed over us was a word that came out of an incredible story back in the book of Exodus where he says he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God that heals. Guys, we have a God that didn't heal in the Old Testament and doesn't heal now. We have a God that heals. And we trust that all healing comes from our God. All wholeness comes from him. He is Jehovah Rapha. He's the one they looked to and they found healing in the wilderness. The scripture says he's Jehovah Nisei, the Lord, our banner. That one never did much for me because all I can picture is like, you know, little flag wavers on a Friday night at the football game. I'm like, I don't don't get that one. But what it speaks of is this. He is a God who's willing to go to war for you. He's a God that's willing to do battle for you. And what that banner is all about, if you go back, let's just pick, uh, I don't know, pick any old medieval movie or one of the old, you know, they didn't have like communication, right? They didn't have like, hey, you know, hey, we're over here, help us. No, what they had is they had people with banners, and when you were trapped by the enemy and things were going bad around you, you would look for the banner of your team, basically, your army, and you say, I've got to get over there because that's where the power is. That's our God. He's willing to fight for us, but we got to run to him. we got to know that he's there. We confess in prayer, you are Jehovah Nisi. One of my favorites, you are Jehovah Jireh. The Lord has provided. Back when Abraham was asked to offer up his son Isaac, God had made a plan, and while he was marching to the altar, there was a ram coming up at the other side of the hill because God says, no, I want you to see. In your willingness to obey, I will provide. We sang about it today, didn't we? You know what I, I realized we were singing that this morning, and it just, it just clenched in my spirit. Some of you stopped singing. You stopped singing when you hit, Lord, you never let us down. And it broke my heart. Because you've experienced things where you think God has dropped you. You've experienced things where you think God has stopped. 
Can I tell you, there are moments in our lives where it feels like we may be on our own. But our faith confesses, God, you are there. God, I don't know why I may be walking through this and it feels lonely right now, God, but I confess you're there, God. And Lord, there's going to be a moment I'm going to be able to look back, God. I'm going to say, Father, you never let me down. You never let me fall. I was singing that, and I was, I was beginning to rehearse in my own mind. I was thinking back over these last eight years and, and just the journey we've taken together, and y'all have been so faithful with Denise and I. But I was like, God, in the emergency room, you were there, God. Lord, Lord when, when your child's in wreck, God, you were there, God. God, when there's not a paycheck, Lord, you were there, God. You just start looking back over your life, and in the moment, sometimes it feels hard, but can I tell you, our God does not let us down. Our God is with us, and he will see us through. Why? Because we are his, and he's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God that provides. And the last one is that he is Jehovah Shalom. How many need some peace in your life today? Amen? Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord God who sends peace. And the story was where Gideon was, was asked by God to rise up against the Midianites. And if you can picture, it's kind of like if you were in your house in your neighborhood and you were alone and the whole city of Charlotte surrounded you, they're going to come wipe you out. And God says, hey, man of God, be strong. You're going to win this battle. And Gideon's like, yeah, right. So he puts out all these fleeces and things. And God says, no, I, I, I really meant it. And he finally builds an altar and he calls it. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord God is peace. Why? Because he's able to send peace. In the middle of situations that make no sense, he's able to send peace in times where we get so frantic in our own flesh. Why? Because he is a faithful God, and he's promised to be with us. You see, we need to learn to confess God's faithfulness before the trials come. We need to learn to confess them before we're in trouble. Because when we're in trouble, what happens is this. If we haven't confessed the fact that, that God is our healer before we ever get sick, then in that moment of sickness, we doubt. We don't know who to call on him. Before we get into a situation where we need God's peace, if we're not every day saying, Father, thank you that you send peace into my life. Thank you, God, that, Lord, I know, God, that you hold my future. Thank you, God, that in the presence I can put my faith in you then when you get to the trial, you've not built up what I call that reservoir of faith. You've not built up that bank inside of you that you can go and you can re retrieve that deposit of faith you've been putting into there by your confession of faith. You see, when we continually confess God's promises, then what we're doing is we're saying, God, we are going to be ready because we are building up our hope in you, God. And Lord, you never let us down. And that leads us to the third way we... we, we uh, Bring life with our lips. And that is we worship with expectancy. We worship with expectancy. Oh, can I tell you? The area of confession when it comes to praising God just amazes me. Because both in the Greek and the Hebrew, it speaks of that word confession as one that, that literally means to, to confess, to open up to God and worship, and to come to him, not with our hands closed like, God, I'm just doing this out of duty, but with our hands open saying, God, come. And Lord, let me receive what you have for me, God, that it may be poured out into other people's lives. I'm convinced this is probably the one area in the modern church right now we are starting to miss what it means to come of worshiping with expectancy. Because it's not about, I, I got behind this morning, it was so funny, I got behind a, a church bus. I didn't know we still did church buses. I was like, a church bus? Really? Is this 1980? But on the back of it, their advertising says dynamic worship. And I thought, well, they wouldn't put up their pathetic worship, would they? Because the spirit of sarcasm came on me, which 
I do think it's a spiritual gift sometimes. <laughs> and I was like, what we're saying is we're promising you dynamic worship. It's a calling card. Come check us out. But dynamic worship doesn't wait on you. Dynamic worship is what you bring. It's what you bring. It's with the fruit of our lips, the confession of our mouths, that we create a dynamic environment. That God is enthroned, and when he's enthroned, then guess what? Now his power and his glory is coming into our lives. David said it. And back in the book of Acts, quoting King David, he said this in chapter 2, verse 25. He said, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, and I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices, and my body also will live with hope. Can I tell you? God gets the whole body engaged if we want to come into his presence with worship of expectation. In Ephesians 5, that teaching that Paul gave to the church that I think we all need to go back and examine again and again and again, where he says to us, listen, in verse 17, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That word be is a be being. In other words, overflowing, rivers of life coming into us, flowing out of us. And how do we live it out? He says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I personally believe that this is where so many people miss one of the most powerful things God has given us on this earth. This is where I think so many people miss out on personally engaging in, in opportunities to worship and sing. I have people who say, well, I'm not really, a, I'm not that big of a worshiper. I'm like, well, when do you worship him then? Do, do you like get alone and sing praises to God and like strike it up because the word tells us we, we sing? Do you dance in your shower? Do you, do you, what, what do you do? I don't know. Because one of the things he's given us when we gather together is an opportunity to do things we don't do alone. And there's a power when you come into it because you're saying, God, I am going to bring a praise and worship to you today, God, as an act of confession that brings life, God, not only to me, God, but Lord, I'm setting the table for everybody else. God, I'm setting the table for everybody else. You see, worship is not selfish. I've had people over the years, they're like, oh, well, she gets so excited to worship. Good for her. I'm glad she likes it. You know, it's, it's her personality. That, that's amazing. But, you know, I'm more reserved. Worship's not selfish. To get, to get in a place of praising God is, is not about you. It's about him. Because the moment it gets about you, guess what? You're in the way. I used to have this rule in my life. Have you ever been to a flag waving church? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Last church I served, before I went into the consulting work and stuff, was, was a full-on charismatic Pentecost church. Can I get a witness? I grew up in it. I love, I love the, the move of the Spirit. But, but I, I, got, I got flag wavers. The line of the tribe of Judah flag about took my head off one Sunday in the front row. I mean, it just whooshing over me. And I'm like, good grief. I need a, like, armor up here not to get hurt. And, and I found something because I was struggling. I'm like, hey, 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 guys, come. I love, love you, love, love that you're waving flags. But can I tell you what? Can you do it in the back of the auditorium? And you know what I found out real fast? It wasn't about worship. It was about them. And you're like, how dare you? Just saying. Worship's not about you. It's about God and others. 
Because you see, when we dynamically worship God, the Word says, according to Psalm 22, verse 3, that God inhabits, He dwells in the praises of His people. And it means that praise is not so much a reaction to God as it is an invitation to God to come in by His power and His presence and touch the lives of people around us. So much so that David said it's a gateway. He said, we enter his presence. We used to sing it as a little chorus growing up. He says, we enter his gates, Psalm 100, with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, being thankful unto him and blessing his holy name. You see, when we praise, this is why I think we miss it. When we praise, we're getting out of ourselves to praise a holy God because other people around us need to be touched by his presence. Ooh, that's good. You know, Jesus amen himself. You ever done that? Just amen, that's good. Paul and Silas, let's wrap this up. Paul and Silas, two missionaries. They're out preaching the gospel. They're out in the world just sharing the faith of Christ. People are getting saved left and right, but they're ticking everybody off. Government doesn't like them because they're messing with the government. The businessmen don't like them because people are getting saved and they stopped sinning and now they're serving God. And so much came persecution that they found themselves in prison. And they found themselves in a Roman prison, locked in stocks in this hellhole of a place that we can't even imagine. And Scripture gives us an insight into what was going on in their minds in the place we'd say, oh, we would not even ever want to be. In Acts chapter 16, it says about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Do they have a hymnal? They didn't have hymnals back then. They were just singing what they knew to God. They were worshiping God together there in their stocks with their backs laid open where they'd been beaten. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Can I ask you who got set free that day? Paul and Silas, right? Everyone's chains came loose. So much so that the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, this tongue is powerful. It has death. It has life. When we learn to confess by faith, we're speaking life. When we begin to pray with authority, we're saying, God, it's in your name. It's in the, word of, it's in the name of Jesus. It's by the character and nature of who you are. Lord, come into my circumstance. But when we worship, folks, can I tell you, we are creating an environment where people get healed. When you worship, we are creating an environment where people get set free. Someone asked, Pastor, why do you always sit on the front row? Because I want to watch you worship. Sorry. I come to do one thing. I come to lift up the name of Jesus. Because when you lift up the name of Jesus, I'm up here singing, but I'm up here praying, God, set them free. God, break down the walls. God, disrupt the plans of the enemy over their lives. God, lift them out of the mud they've gotten themselves into. God, Yes, I want to hear from you. Yes, personally, I'd love to just get lost in your worship. Yes, I love that feeling, God, of what it is to be in your presence. But God, it's not about me. My mom was the church pianist and organist growing up. Yes, we had organs. And we got radical in the 70s. 
we, we really did. We started singing songs that weren't out of a hymn book. And one of those was, we bring sacrifice of praise into the house. Come on, some of y'all are going, yeah, yeah. You know, sim- simple. We didn't. Give me a drummer that can't keep beat. We can still do that song, okay? In fact, back then we were still praying over drummers because we thought they were all going to hell. But it was just, you know, again, a lot of change, a lot of change. You know, anoint that guitar, God, because you know it was using a bar at some time. Yeah. So are most of the hymns, by the way. You didn't catch that. But you know what it did? Here's what I, here's what I grew up seeing people do. God, I don't feel like it. I don't want to be here. I am bored out of my mind, but I am bringing the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. So do something about it. That's not what Scripture says at all. It says we bring the sacrifice of praise. We bring something that is pleasing to God. We create that aroma of praise around us. And God says, 